Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And for this episode, I'm going to mix things up a little bit and bring on someone who is not a high-tech sales professional. In order for all of us to overachieve in our sales role, I really believe it's important that we learn and develop all aspects of our role. And leadership is just one of them. So even if you are a first-line sales rep, you still need to lead. And so I'm really excited to have Darren Ranke join us today. Darren is a founder and CEO of Group 60, where for 11 years, they've been helping companies and coaching leaders to really improve communication skills, collaboration, trust, accountability, and ultimately doing all of that is resulting in greater productivity for the companies. And if you're in a first-line sales role, you know that more and more, this is a team selling sport. You're not a person on an island just selling. And so our ability to lead is incredibly important. And Darren has worked with a number of Fortune 500 companies to help leaders excel. Uh, By the way, he's also an author of a book called The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. And I really wanted to bring him on to talk about this topic because I just believe that um, leadership right now is more important than ever as companies go through this whole process in shifting how people work. So, Darren, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Great to be here. My pleasure. So, um, you know, I gave you a little bit of an intro, but maybe you could share uh, a little bit more about how you ended up in this executive coaching world and business. Yeah, definitely was probably not the most linear route. So just to go back in time, I'll try to tell uh, the Cliff Notes version, but so I grew up as a kid in Northern California. One of the probably few interesting fun facts about me is my parents are both veterinarians. And so my lens in the world was health, was health science. I knew what doctors did, veterinarians did, dentists, et cetera. And so I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon and follow in the footsteps of my dad, who is a veterinary orthopedic surgeon. And by the way, my mom is a veterinary dermatologist and her my sister is a human dermatologist, which is a funny thing to say. Only I would say that because my mom is a veterinary dermatologist. So of course I had to be the human orthopedic surgeon, or at least that was my goal when I was growing up because I had so many limited perspectives on the world of life and work. And so I went through college halfway through, realized med school wasn't the path for me. I ended up landing a job based on some advice of a mentor of mine to work for Accenture, worked there for four years to quote unquote, figure it out. So what I figured out was I needed to learn more and go get my MBA, which I did at UC Berkeley, came out, bounced around, did a lot of mostly consulting work, started a few companies and long story short, came back to start my own business in 2010 called Group 60, 
And because I, what I'd seen is that an experience was that so many projects and companies would go off the rails because of underdeveloped leaders and leadership teams. And so I was just aware of this problem that was out there. And a mentor of mine who used to run Gallup's global consulting division and at Templeton was going through a coach training program. And I always knew what a coach was through a coaching context. I was a high school athlete and have been involved coaching my kids youth sports forever, but I didn't know what that meant in a business context. So I went through this program thinking this will be interesting. Something I'll learn is a six day accelerated program and thinking I'm probably not going to want to be a full-time executive coach on the back end, which is, which is true and was validated. But I found it to be very complimentary. And then just eventually over time, just the business evolved from a consultancy to consulting and executive coaching to really executive coaching and training. And that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I just, I, you know, as you were talking, I think back to the years, uh, all the years that I've been uh, in, in a sales leadership role. Man, it's not, I haven't received a lot of uh, company provided coaching and training related to just being a good leader. You know, I've, I've done some on my own, but I just remember that first role that I had, they threw me in and said, go. And next thing you know, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're right in it, you know, forecast calls, you need, you need to deliver not a lot of time to really develop on the job. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about what you do. I'm, I am curious. So within your business, is it predominantly companies hiring you to come in and help, or do you have individuals coming to you and paying you directly for help? It's a combination. I guess it depends where the budget comes from. Sometimes it's leaders that are paying for it out of their own pocket or, or generally it's sponsored by the organization overall, but it, it generally is established companies or some startups to fortune 500s is a you know pretty big range in that capacity but um yeah it's typically companies that i'm working with so when you've uh you and i talked briefly um before we started and you know you get that person that goes from that uh, direct contributor maybe they're the engineer maybe they're the the doer and they jump to that first time leadership role what are some of the challenges or some of the, maybe some of the missteps that you've seen over the years where you've had to jump in and help them uh, really change how they think or how they work? I would say that the biggest thing is just, they need to be a developer of their teams. You know, they really, it can be a struggle from a communication perspective. They tend to default to sometimes a command and control. They tend to micromanage. I mean, they're generally very successful at what they did, which is why they got promoted but oftentimes they're not, companies aren't always looking at the soft skills that are really going to determine what their ability to succeed. So it's a lot of times developing, putting a veneer around some of those, those skills, helping them empower and motivate, inspire. I mean, a lot of what we do at the end of the day is, is communication, whether it's communicating a task, delivering feedback, running effective one-on-one -on -one coaching conversations. It, it generally all comes back to how you communicate, how you show up for your teams. But yeah, the biggest thing is just they now need to get work done with and through other people versus just heads down getting the work done. So how do you actually set a vision? How do you actually inspire them to take action? How do you give them enough guidance, but not too much guidance where they feel empowered and not being micromanaged? So those are some of the skills like probably listed way too many for our conversation here today, but some of the issues and skills that, that I work with on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm curious. So. Um... Do you have kind of one of your most memorable, what you might call your biggest, biggest success, maybe somebody you worked with that was really struggling and 
you know, you were able to get in there and just completely transformed how they engaged, how they communicated. Yeah, that's it's 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 most people. I mean, not saying everything is a grand slam home run, you know, but um, let's see a, a good example. So, yeah, as one example, actually, as a salesperson, and this will be relevant to you and your audience. But so he he had this uh, a big aspiration to not just be a mid level salesperson, but to be the SVP of sales of his company. And so we started working together and I had him take this assessment and one of his very bottom skills on this assessment, it was reserved. And I said, Hey, you, can you see any value in being reserved? He said, you know, of course not. You know, I, I want to show up and I want to say, you know, say what matters to me. I want to speak my piece. And I said, you know, hold on a second, buddy. Let's, let's think about this through the lens, what you just said, which is, I want to get this promotion to be the SVP of sales. And I said, can you see any value in that context of being reserved? And he said, you know, you know what, as he took a few moments to reflect and to pause and think, and he said, you know, when I'm working with my CEO, I tend to, this, this person, by the way, is definitely more reserved. There's a lot of silence. He's like, I tend to fill that space and the word I'll use is noise, but with his her perspective, which is thoughts. And he said, that tends to ding my executive presence. So from then on, we started working about working on how can you actually be more reserved? What are some other skills you might want to use in place of that to be more successful with your CEO? By the way, that helps. You got that promotion. And the secondary benefit, you know, despite being a very successful salesperson, it actually really helped him show up in a very different way for his customers. He talked about being a consultative salesperson, but it helped him really lean into that relational sales model in terms of being there, being a better listener, asking questions that didn't just have the destination of buying their products or services, but actually helping him understand their problems so he could actually help them solve it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's uh, not quite um, you know, an exact comparison, but uh, I've worked with a few um, salespeople over the years that had been consultants before um, and then moved into a direct sales role. And there's something about the way they listened and asked questions. And one of them recently explained it to me is like, look, when you're on the consulting side, um, you can think you're doing a great job, but if you haven't solved the right problem from the customer's perspective, you're not successful. And that only comes from a really high level of communication, good listening, great questions. And so I found those types of people have always stepped in and, and kind of elevated how they engage with the customers and their ability to just ask um you know, just better questions and then, you know, listen and have better responses. Yeah. And, that, and that's interesting because that's something that I had to develop a skill in doing all these consulting projects for Accenture and doing diagnostic interviews and things like that. But becoming a coach is different than being a consultant. Being a consultant, you constantly want to ask the smart question, which actually limits your ability to be really present and to be an active listener. If you're thinking about that next smart question, something I learned through just becoming a coach is that it's all about being present and then you'll come up with a better question, which is a pretty big leap of faith. At least it was for me at the beginning, but I found that if you truly are present and you're that much more of a better listener, you will ask better, more thoughtful, more insightful questions. So it was a bit of a pivot for me to go from being that consultant, trying to ask a smart question to actually asking the best question that really created new awareness for whether it's someone I'm coaching, but even in a sales context can be helpful too, to ask questions that really create new awareness of new opportunities. And don't just lead back to buy my product, buy my service. Right, right. Now that's fascinating. Well, so let's uh, let's jump into your book. So your, bo your book, from what I was looking at, it focuses more on the inner journey of becoming a leader. Can you expand on what that means? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so many books, leadership books, leadership courses talk about what I'll call the externally visible behaviors, things like projecting vision, decision-making, assessing risks. And of course, those things are really important and we do focus on those as well. But where we really differentiate is we start from the inside and work out. So I talk about this inner journey. So some of those inner attributes around understanding our values, how do we anchor to them? How do we use those values to make better decisions that are more in alignment with our own personal values? How do we become more authentic? And then some other inner really soft skills around fostering greater levels of patience and perseverance. Lifelong learning is another thing. Uh, greater patience, like I mentioned. And then what I call, it's almost like the triad where it's a continuum of self-limiting beliefs, doubt, and fear. So self-limiting beliefs are basically those tapes that play in our head of, you know, I'm not good enough. I didn't go to a good enough school. I'm not ready to sell to this out, out of the SMB market into, you know, to enterprise and beyond is we have these tapes that can start to, if you don't check those, they can become doubts, which can become fears that really get in your way of being successful being successful. So those are some of the principles, but it generally, not generally, it's all about that internal journey, some of these internal attributes. So that's where we focus before we can start on some of the externally visible behaviors that most leadership books and courses tend to focus on. Yeah. I think sometimes the biggest objection or the biggest challenge we have with achieving anything is just what's between the two ears, right? What's going on in the head. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hundred percent believe that, you know, for myself included that, you know, the, the only impediment is just like those thoughts, those, you know, if you have a baseline level of aptitude and competency and so forth, but, but anyway, so that, that tends to be the biggest enemy, you know, or it is our biggest enemy. Yeah. I remember when I first, I, I, I earned my first field sales role. I went from that business development role to being in the field and I was pretty young and I think I looked pretty young. And, and at the time, the person that hired me more or less said, said as much. And uh, so I started growing a beard because I was concerned about my presence in front of the management team, the directors. I, I don't even think I was qualified at that time to get to a CIO or an executive level. But that was for me, that was definitely just in my own head. I didn't feel like I was ready to be at that level, um, but there I was and I had to go do it. Yeah, and I think we all go through that at times. Hello, sales pros. I hope you are enjoying the High Tech Freedom Podcast. If you are interested in learning more about passively investing in multifamily real estate, you can download our educational ebook at hightechfreedom.com. While there, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we will provide insights on real estate investing as well as sales tips so that you can continue to crush it in your high tech sales role. Now, I often hear people say, eh, I'll get to that later or uh, I'll read that book later. Well, there's no time like the present to improve your knowledge. So I hope you take advantage of at least the newsletter. In the meantime, please reach out if I can help out in any way. Now let's get back to the show. What can somebody do to start to work through some of those self-doubt limiting beliefs? Yeah, great question. And it really starts with just is being introspective and looking into it. What's the source of it? Is there any validity to it? You know, it may just be someone's perspective, opinion, comments. And, you know, we say horrible things to each other. You know, family members may say something to you. A boss, you know, is well-intentioned, but says something that really sticks in your head and then just causes that to get in your way. Is that, so those are some of the things that it starts with really 
being real with it and looking at it, assessing where it came from. Is it true? Is it not true? And honestly, in some cases, it could be true. Maybe there is a gap in your experience. You need to go learn some new hard skill or you need to learn more about you know, how SaaS is different than, than on-premise types of software applications. And that could really be holding you back. So, But most of those things tend to be just a tape that plays in your head. And a little bit of a spoiler alert, those tend to be your own thoughts. You know, there's other people that other people, have, other things that others have said, but they generally, generally can come from inside. So, I mean, I'll share, if you will, I can share my own self-limiting belief that really was one of the big motivations for writing my book, which was, you know, I struggled relatively speaking in college in, in high-level English courses, which are really literature courses. I needed to pretty much get at or close to a 4.0 to get into medical school because I was pre-med at the time. And so I internalized those grades in college English as, oh, I'm not a good writer or I'm not a good business writer. But it took me a long time to peel back some of those layers and go, wait a second, nothing was said about my ability to write. It was, oh, I didn't understand what Kafka meant in the metamorphosis or some, you know, what I considered esoteric, which is a little naive and arrogant to say these, you know, works of literature. But I internalized those things as I'm not a good writer. And so that held me back from writing for a long time. And so what I did was I said, okay, well, where did that come from? Is it really true? And how do I test it? How do I prove it to be false? And so for me, I had a friend of mine about five years ago said, hey, Darren, it sounds like you're going to write a book. And what I realized is, I don't know if it was a question, I think it was more of a challenge, but I took it as a challenge to myself to do something that I didn't think was possible before, which was to write and to publish a book. So some of the ways you can do it is, which is look at it, assess it, be introspective and reflect, see if it's valid or not. If it's not, figure out how can you replace it with something that is true, or in my case, to challenge it to prove it isn't true. Right. So I guess even if it's valid or not, the thing that you can do about it is just take action, right? Address it head on. It's kind of what I hear you saying. Absolutely. Well, that's the biggest thing. And that's, that's like my approach to executive coaching and training is it's not soft skills for the sakes of soft skills. It's soft skills aimed at execution outcomes. And that's just my, you know, just my underlying core, which is around strategy and execution. It just comes from the focus on science and problem solving interest there, but then also becoming a consultant for Accenture and working on business problems. It's like moving to action as quickly as possible. So I think about three steps. One is intention, next is reflection, and then it's action. So intention is basically around, and this is where on behavior change, is finding value in whatever behavior you're trying to change, like whether it's proving your own doubt, whether it's managing conflict more effectively, and then it's making a commitment to actually change that behavior, change that, whatever you're doing, that thought in your head. But then it requires a lot of reflection and introspection. Where did that come from? Um, what are the implications of that? And then action is about how do you take all the intention, all the reflection, which is like the gear and put it into first so you can actually take forward progress. You know, I, um, I was talking to another guest a while back and, and one of the things that they were talking about, which I, I see all the time is it's really hard to do that reflection piece because it seems like everybody's always moving, always on the go, never slowing down to actually understand what's going on in the head before you can ever take action. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's a tough one for sure. And if you ran into me 20 years ago, I probably wasn't the most reflective, at least you know consciously. And I was just going about my life and, and working in my 20s in San Francisco. And just as things changed, as they wanted more from life, more from work, I didn't feel a sense of purpose. 
and meaning from the work that I was doing because I had this desire to become, you know, a surgeon, actually help people, problem solution, get people back on the sports field or being able to go up the stairs without pain. And so for me, I lacked some of that purpose, some of that drive, but, um, you know, that was something that it took me a long time to come back to that, where I was actually able to, to find some of that meaning, some of that purpose and what that, what I was doing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you walking through that. It's uh, I just, I can't speak enough about just taking action. And, you know, cause I, I, I think back over my career, so many times there's, you know, I've had something that I, I've come up with my own reason why, I, why I can't go do that or I can't succeed. I mean, my very first sales job, I was so scared to go out and make a sales call that I would, uh, I'd get the appointment and then I would find some reason to cancel it. I'm sick or my car broke down or whatever it was. And it was just me in my own head. But once I was able to go do it and realize that eh, I'm not that bad at it, you know, I started to, to realize that there was nothing to fear. And, you know, then, you know, then you're onto the next fear, but you know, you conquer the first one and now you can go conquer the second one. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of a, a phrase I heard. I don't know what I attributed it to, but you don't, you don't think your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of thinking. I, I totally believe that to be true. And I, start to just to say yes when something comes up if it prompts a little bit of fear or doubt if there's some upside to it right not just like becoming a glutton for punishment but raise your hand and say yes new promotion new market segment moving to a new geography working and selling a different uh, you know going from products to services or services or products whatever it may be targeting bigger companies just say yes and most people who have uh, or are capable are going to figure out a way. By the way, you sign up for something that's a little bit aggressive and challenging. You're going to do that background work. You're going to reach out to mentors. You're going to do some of that research with the availability of videos online these days and courses. You'll, you'll get to that point where you'll be successful. But raise your, hit, raise your hand, go for it, and commit to action, like you said. Yeah. It's called growth, right? If, you're not, if you don't have any fear in your life and you're comfortable, you're probably not growing. Probably pretty stagnant. Yeah, I, I, create, I just was curious and I created this index, real simple, a gross, growth and discomfort index. And so it tries to <laughs> measure with a series of, I think, 10 statements where you are. Are you redlining over here and you're pushing yourself way too hard or are you just too comfortable and you're not growing? And so the point is, like, how do you find that right level where you're not signing up for too much, but you're you are pushing yourself because that, yeah, that is where growth happens for sure. Yeah. yeah. Love the chart. Well, um, so in your book, you talk about the 13 principles of becoming a better leader and we don't have to walk through all of them, but you know, is there one or two, and maybe we've already touched on it, but are there one or two principles that, you know, you feel are the, the highlights, the most important? Well, the, the cheap answer would be they're all important, right? So all, all, all 13, but I would say the one that's most foundational is the first one, which is around values. And, and by the way, so I, I wrote this book. If you're a kid of the 80s or 70s, there was a, a series called Choose Your Own Adventure. So it's not quite exactly this, but the idea was the books would say, hey, you know, go in door A or door oh, B. Yeah. Turn, yeah. turn to page 65 or 85. Kind of like that, where I wanted something where people could actually pick this up and jump around based on which principles resonated with them. So it was written with that in mind. And because different principles are going to be relevant at different points in time, like you mentioned, growth, patience, fear, doubt, those things are going to come up depending on what you're doing. If you're really comfortable, maybe self-limiting beliefs, doubt, and fear doesn't creep in. But if you get that new promotion, you make some big switch, you start your own company, I can guarantee you those things are going to start to be top of mind for you. But 
that said, the one that I think is really not, I think the one that is universal is values. And it's, it's about how do you identify, how do you uncover those values that matter most to you? And then how do you anchor to them? So anchor in a very positive sense in terms of use them to guide you over time. When you start to face some choppy waters, you know, how do you, how do you use it as your North star to actually proceed towards it? And so you're making the right decisions that are in alignment with your own values. So that's, I would say that's the, the most important and the most foundational, but they all really build above and beyond that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever recommend people write them down, keep them handy, keep them available, write those values down? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Even more than that. So I'll, I'll have people do an exercise and around start with what are your values? And this, this merges a little bit of what Simon Sinek talks about in his start with why book and his methodology, which is start with the themes, the stories that define you and extract those themes from them. We also layer in an activity. And this really comes from my experience as a marketer is you have the kind of unaided awareness and aided awareness. You have this one where you take these stories, you extract the themes, but then you also have these explicit set of 200 values in picking 10, then narrowing to five, and then narrowing to three, then marrying those two concepts together to identify your values. And then we have people actually create what we call a personal purpose statement. And then that what we're now working on is what I can what they call a, per, a personal greatness statement, which is the intersection of success and purpose. Because I think sometimes purpose feels like, yeah, it's a little nebulous. That's a little maybe too woo-woo for me. It's not really connected to what I'm trying to achieve as an organization or as, a, as an executive or even as an individual contributor. But then you have success, what can be the opposite? It's just it's just chasing dollars, chasing commissions. And how do you actually put those two things together? So helping people actually create that personal greatness statement. So it's, which is something that's different for everybody, but it merges those two things, purpose and success. Yeah, I love it. Well, as we, Darren, as we look to wrap it up, so a lot of my audience uh, are, a lot of them are individual contributors. And I touched on this in the opening, but as an individual contributor, you know, why, why should they be thinking about leadership in what they do today? Honestly, I think we all have both an opportunity and frankly, a responsibility to step up and take the stance of a leader. I mean, you think about companies and just the, the constant threats and bombardment from competitive moves and marketplace changes. It's we need to push leadership out into all tentacles of the organization. And that's probably speaking to a CEO and executives, but from an individual contributor perspective is there's so many opportunities for us to grow and get better. And the 13 principles aren't just for people who have a team of folks. They're not about how do you empower people? How do you, those are all kind of those external, almost like, you know, one-on-one, two-on-one from a school perspective. Those are the next level things. These are about how do you foster greater levels of patience? How do you understand and identify and connect with your values and what matters most? So I believe in all the 13 principles are as relevant for an individual contributor as for a Fortune 500 CEO, I mean, I talked about it in the opening where this is for, for entrepreneurs, for teachers, for even people who want to be better parents or they're out there in the community trying to make change and enact change. So it really is for everybody from the individual contributor all the way up to the CEO. I'd like to see you get this uh, rolled out earlier to some of the uh, younger folks out there as well. You know, it's, you know, my kids, I have teenagers now and, you know, I, I often think about, 
um, things you're talking about, you know, things that I, I often talk about with my, uh, with my guests. It's like, I want my kids to hear more of this. I want them to start to get more exposed to this early on, because I think we need to start developing that next generation of incredible leaders. Yeah, actually, I'm in, in talks with a, a school that I've done some work with over the years about potentially doing this for some of their uh, middle school students. So just because it's just as, as a way of giving back, because I see the importance of being a leader. And it's funny, my mom used to say, Darren, be a leader. As a kid, that meant, you know, st- standing up for people getting bullied. Don't just do what the every, you know, your friends are doing. But now I obviously internalize it a lot differently. But I do think there's so many opportunities. And I've, I probably preach way too much to my kids and they're probably like, okay, dad, just go back, go back to your office and keep recording. But um, anyway, but I do think there's so many important life lessons for kids as well. Yeah. Well, if uh, you ever need any help in that area, it's something that I'm really passionate about. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to help any way I can. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else you do uh, that you like to do around giving back? Yeah. I always have, I just try to always make time to give back and to volunteer. It's just something that's really important. I mean, and that just comes from I don't know, just desire to help people, which was that desire to go into medicine. And I always felt like I had a little bit of a hole because, because I wasn't doing things to help people directly. Now I actually do it obviously through a business context, but I'm ultimately helping people. No, I'm not a life coach, but I am helping people. But, but that said, I do like to do things that are more direct, closer to the fire in terms of helping people. So I coach a lot of youth sports. Obviously, these are my kids' team, so obviously it's it's fun for me to be out there with them and help them. But I also try to impart some lessons to the other kids, and I have some values that I introduce on all the teams about some things that are really important, as important to business folks as they are to kids. And another really neat nonprofit that I volunteer for or with is uh, it's called the Honor Foundation, and it was started to help Navy SEALs and other members of the special operations community make that transition from the military into the civilian world. And so they assign coaches one-to-one. They take them through this fantastic 13 or 15 week curriculum. And then the coaches are with them along the way to help them transition, to come up with their own values, help them think about different roles and opportunities. So that's a fantastic nonprofit. And I've had the, just the honor of being able to work with some remarkable folks. Wow. What a great transition offering for uh, somebody in that position. That's really, that's really incredible. Yeah, it was the genesis of it was um, Joe Musselman who founded it. He um, just took a look at the number of offers that people, I think from either Wharton or University of Chicago, of how many offers those MBA graduates had. It was, you know, five offers within three months. And then they had these Navy SEALs that had no offers after, you know, 18 months or 12 months, whatever it was. He said, what's wrong with this? These people are incredibly capable. Yes, they haven't proven it in a civilian perspective, but they absolutely can. And so he stood up this nonprofit specifically with that goal in mind. So I, I met um, leaders of the organization several years ago. I got involved. I'm not actively coaching any of them right now, but I try to think about put on events and bring visibility to this organization because it's fantastic what they do. And the people that come out of it are truly remarkable. Sounds like a great program. Well, Darren, if uh, somebody would like to reach out to you, how can they get hold of you? Sure. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you just look up Darren Ranke on LinkedIn, happy to connect. And if you're interested in some of the things that I talked about, we created a website, thesavageleader.com. There's free blogs. There's a, a podcast that I host. 
have some incredible leaders on there. And then of course, interested in the book that's there as well. And just constantly adding new tools, free tools, created a, a savage leader self-assessment as well. So lots of cool things that um, are interesting for people who are trying to become a, le- a better leader. And that's, like I said, not just CEOs and people who lead teams of people who are trying to be better leaders in their lives. That's the savageleader.com, right? Well, hey, uh, Darren, I really enjoyed our conversation. I know I got a lot out of it. I hope my listeners did too. Um, I think you're doing some great work. Um, It was great catching up. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.